Hi, Chris. How are you? Hi, Roy. Yes, all well here in the in the shed in the garden. Yourself? Oh, not too bad at all. And here we are, Wake From Sleep, episode 10, 28th of March, 2022. 10 already? That's a milestone. Shouldn't we be celebrating? Yeah, there's probably got to be something we should do. We should pop beers or something just to say we've made it this far. Uh, do a virtual clink. <laughs> there's got to be a sound effect for that. I hear other podcasts have got these Elgato stream decks, which can make sound effects and, and automate things for you. I think maybe... It's all about the foot, foot pedal, isn't it? I don't know. That's a Taylor Hawkins thing there, I'm sure. Oh. Yeah. Pour one out for Taylor sad, Hawkins. Sad, yeah, sad day. Did listen to a lot of Foo Fighters in the car with the children the other day. They just did. Yeah, it, it, is, it is a sad one. Only 50, immensely talented. And I feel really sorry for Dave Grohl, apart from Taylor Hawkins' family, obviously. But, you know, now he's lost two band members and, and that sort of circumstance. And that's it's got to be hard for him. So I listened to Dave Grohl's autobiography that I think came out quite recently, like around Christmas time. Um, and Dave Grohl reads it. He's got a very gravelly voice. <laughs> I'm guessing years of singing. Uh, but he does mention Taylor Hawkins in it quite a bit as kind of being his, you know, his his buddy, you know, and soulmate. Kind of like soulmate, but not as in the marital sense. So yeah, no, really sad to hear about his passing. Have they announced how he died yet? There were a cocktail of drugs in his bloodstream, apparently. Opiates, benzodiazepines, all sorts of things, apparently. I assumed, if I'm honest, that might have been it, but wow. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's very unfortunate, and you hear about it in rock and roll. And But he seemed, you know, as you can never tell with people, I suppose, but he seemed very happy, well-respected, seemed to get on. Who knows what goes on in people's lives? I can't remember what, quite how somebody quoted it, but, you know, you've got a tough act to follow in being a drummer with Dave Grohl. You know, being in Dave Grohl's band, in essence, and trying to follow in his footsteps. And I think he was a worthy, worthy person to take on that role. So it is a shame, but yeah, sadly it is what it is. Should we move on on to yeah. maybe more exciting things? Well, so hopefully happier things in most cases anyway. Uh, so I've got an immediate bit of follow-up, and we're going to go there first. I haven't watched Coda yet, but it did, we'll come to it a little bit later about how it did in the Oscars and things. But I will watch Coda by next week. I'm now emboldened to do so even more. Do you think it's one you watch with the family? I don't know. All I'm hearing from my family at the moment is they want to watch Turning Red on Pixar, on uh, Disney+, Plus, the new Pixar film. I have two teenage girls. I don't know if that's related at all to the topics of Turning Red. But yeah, I, I, I don't know if it necessarily will appeal to the family, but they've certainly all seen the buzz about Coda. Okay, so Coda, I, I just wondered, because it is quite, quite a family film, you know, there's nothing, you know, it's not a bloke action film. It's, it's a good all-round film, and obviously since she's done quite well so there's that and that's why i thought you might want to watch as a family we have watched turning red as a family which was interesting because i've got two young boys that aren't teenagers and the start of turning red is about a girl coming of age and so that was quite interesting with my boys lucky they just seem to ignore it if i'm honest but we always watch a pixar film when it comes out ever and it's usually been me driving them to watch pixar films as soon as they're released so uh, Tin Red was alright. It was good. It was different. Is it my favourite Pixar? Definitely not. But it was it was a good film. I think my favourite in recent time is Luca. I don't know if you've ever watched that. I haven't watched Luca. I am conscious we're talking about media in the follow up section, so I'm going to push us back onto topic and ask. Uh, you were talking about watching We Crashed last week. Did you get around to that? Oh yeah, I watched all four or five episodes that are out. Still loving the releasing once a week because if I. If they weren't doing that, I'd have binged the whole lot by now. It's definitely right up my street. It's for those people that have seen The Social Network, directed by David Fincher, similar sort of concept. You know, how did something massive get up and off the ground? Really well directed, cracking acting, great direction. The whole thing, I, the, 
the production quality of it is amazing and it's that apple tv shine at its best and i'll be honest we work in the uk whilst i've seen some of the locations when i've been in london i I knew literally very little about it and so really interesting the whole concept how they got it off the ground how much money they were just burning through on like a daily basis was obscene but i definitely recommend if you're into how companies get up and running and scale really quickly and, and burn through cash i'd recommend it yeah i'll check it out we have got another bit of follow-up actually how's the new studio display uh, studio display awesome such a stunning bit of kit i haven't really used the webcam much i've tried it out as if it's done i've actually taken up the house to play with it a bit on my mac because i thought i wonder what it's like on a mac using the mac to, to do a bit of coding i just need to rearrange my desk a little bit because i think i'm just sat too far away from it and as i'm getting older my eyesight is not as good as it was, but I um, loved it down here in the shed. And it was great with my iPad. I get it's an expensive mirroring solution to your iPad, but still really happy with it. Definitely want to return it. So Nice. Apparently it's got fans in it, which I didn't realize. Do you ever hear them? No, that's not been an issue for me whatsoever. I'm not surprised. So I've got a Dell, some obscure part name on the wall, which is a 27-inch 4K screen. And occasionally I can hear the fans on that, and that does infuriate me. But So I'm not surprised it's got the fans in it. Barely heard them, if ever. So I, I think it's a non-event, to be honest. And I spend all day largely in a shed on my own, on conference calls, but with my AirPods in. So there's not a lot of noise in the room I'm in. So if there was a fan in there that was on, I would have heard it. And I was driving the screen at five well, I, I don't quite know how the ipad mirror works on a 5k screen but I, it was doing all the stuff and looked great so it was you know it's been used a lot and i'd watch films on it speakers were awesome i think the speakers live up to the claim they're as good as anything they've ever shipped in in any device i would suggest are they as good as my homepod minis in here probably not just because of the way they're configured and and that and they're definitely not as good as my full home pod you know in a, in a pair but for monitor speakers superb yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds good. Like I, I think I've said in previous shows, uh, there's a 5K iMac uh, not very far away from here, and the speakers in it sound very, very good. The speakers on this computer are actually external JBL audio speakers through an amplifier, which I've got taped under my desk, and they sound fantastic. So I, I, I wouldn't expect monitor speakers to get close to proper external, you know, hi-fi speakers particularly. But it sounds like they've done a good job on that, and I've heard great things about the MacBook Pros as well. So the new MacBook Pros, not the 13-inch MacBook Pro, the 14 and the 16. So oh, they're they're knocking out of the park when it comes to audio at the moment, anyway. Spatial audio, all the things. Yeah, if you're into that kind of stuff. I am and I'm not. I'm, I'm definitely into it on the on the video side. I think that is awesome. And I've had a few times, like with my headphones on, I'm like, oh no, I meant to put the audio on my headphones. And oh yeah, I have got my headphones on and the audio is going out of my headphones because I just think spatial audio is so clever. I don't know what they've done, but awesome. Yeah, I'm I've, I'm mixed about spatial audio, really. Uh, the few times I've tried it out have been when I've been watching things on my iPad on trains and things like that, and I turn my head and I notice it's moving from side to side. It feels a bit gimmicky to me. I, I can live without it. It's not, again, it's not set my world on fire. I can live without it, but every time I notice it, I think that's pretty cool. And I suppose, as our explainer-in-chief, I should probably say, so spatial audio is a clever bit of audio technology by Apple to give you perspective as to where the device is. So the idea would be if you started it up and you had the iPad or the phone or the computer off to one side of you and you were listening on a device that supported it, it would give you perspective as to where that sound source was coming from. So as you turn your head to the you know, to the right, the audio would start coming out of your left, coming into your left ear. So that's the point of it. And obviously, Chris and I have slightly different opinions on how effective it is. And it's awesome. 
And on that awesome note, I think we can move on to the news. It's been a relatively quiet news week, but there are a few things have happened um, since. So, Where is iOS 15.5? That's the question. Are we missing it, is the answer. I don't know what's in it. <laughs> I was hoping for something new just to have a look at. At this stage in the update cycle, I think we're only going to get bug fixes and we're moving towards whatever's going to come at WWDC. And there was a story today that they may be expecting WWDC invite rumors this week. So again, for those that don't know, WWDC is the Worldwide Developer Conference. It's where Apple announces the new platforms for the next year for the Mac and the Apple TV and the iPad and iPhone and probably your studio display these days as well. And who knows what else uh, will be coming along. So it's quite a big day. You get lots of uh, developer betas. You get an idea of what's coming on. And you get the new development tools, which is the purpose of the, of the conference as much as anything else, to build for whatever new technologies they've built into the next versions of the operating system. So it's normally in June. It's, it's, not- no, it's normally like around the 6th to the 12th, give or take, because my birthday is around that time. So it's, it's normally the second week of June, give or take. I like how you say about all the new things we get. And then you mentioned at the end, developer tools, because that kind of feels like how Apple presents it these days. In the old days, it used to be all about the developers, whereas it's still called the Developers Conference. But the first, the main keynote is more consumer-based than it's ever been. And there's a light splattering of what it means for developers. And then they have the State of the Union afterwards, which is less televised and less consumer, but and definitely really for the developers. These are the things we are doing on all our platforms. Yeah, and it's more software. You do get the occasional hardware announcement. I think like the Mac Pro, for example, a couple of years back uh, was announced at WWDC and there is a there's a developer focus to the hardware as well. But I'm pretty sure other things have been announced there. Like, am I misremembering or was the original iPhone actually announced at WWDC? No, the iPhone Mark 1 was announced at Macworld 2007, yeah. but I think it then got released maybe around the WWDC timeframe. HomePod Mark 1 was released or announced, sorry. Well, that that was a very consumer piece of hardware, I suppose. But yeah, uh, you know, a developer or focused Mac Pro or something like that makes sense. That anyway, we shouldn't speculate too much. It's just the invites that are uh, potentially coming around in the next week or so. So we'll see how that goes. I'm assuming there you're in the same camp as me, virtual, not in person. I would expect it to be virtual, yeah. I think that's working quite well for them. I'm not sure it does the businesses around wherever they hold the conference the same good having the virtual one because the amount of money that wherever they move the conference to must have been huge from all the developers going to. There was a nominal fee charged for developers to attend, but the accommodation and the sandwiches and and everything else that goes around having a huge conference like that, an uh, Apple-focused conference, must have been a huge boon to the town. It was only a boon, though, for a week, wasn't it, really? But I, I do get your point. I'm guessing that all conferences are just down across the world. Um, I was just thinking that COVID's quite rife here in the UK. I wonder what it's like in the US. I don't think it's getting any better from what I've seen. I mean, I can speak about conferences because I go to a couple of big, or I have gone to a couple of big ones myself. So one I attend quite often is ten thousand or more attendees at it. The big one I go to for for one of the for one of my work things, and I've followed it all around the world, and that hasn't happened in the last two years. And I would say we're definitely getting slightly off topic here. It's definitely affected the way that we collaborate in academia, for sure, not having that sort of interaction with people. A lot of our collaborations, particularly international collaborations, are spurred by going to a big conference. And sitting attending one of these things on Zoom just isn't the same. This year, they're bringing it back. It's going to be potentially in Amsterdam this year, not mixed mode. It's going to be fully back as an in-person conference. So we'll see how that goes. It's not mixed mode, it's hybrid. 
if you say so. It's the new buzzword around town, hybrid. <laughs> hybrid meetings. I agree with you, though, on the in-person piece. Nowhere near as good to collaborate. I was at a conference the other week, much smaller, say 25, 30 people. But one of the speakers managed to chat to him afterwards, have a beer. Really interesting, talking about tech. But we wouldn't have done that if it was a Zoom and he presented and then did his piece and left, or we did Q&A. We wouldn't just had that half an hour just gassing on something that he was, you know, his company, what he was really passionate about. It's really interesting. It's all about RPA, you know, robotic process automation. And just super interesting to have that call with him, like, well, that conversation, which then led to a follow-up call that we had today and will lead to another call in a couple of weeks. But if we hadn't had the in-person piece, I don't think we would have caught up afterwards. Yep. Yeah, it, make, it makes a huge difference. So I think it's exciting that the WWC is going to be announced. Great. Of course, it was always going to be announced. If it's just virtual again, then, you know, it is what it is. It doesn't affect us. We've, we've never attended the conference anyway. Our development skills are definitely not up to that level yet to be attending that or pay for it to go, uh, to go through, really. And they've done a great job of virtualizing it. It's They nailed it first year out. It got better last year. If they did exactly what they did last year, this year, for me personally, I think that'll be spot on. Yep. And again, we'll speculate how quickly we'll install the betas as they come out after the event. So moving along, Apple has an, potentially about to announce a new hardware subscription service. So they had an iPhone subscription service before, which I never did, but you did. So you can maybe fill us in on that a little. Yeah, I did. Oh, it's a few years ago now. So I did this around, I think the iPhone, I was going to say X, but the iPhone 10. Um, and it was okay. I You just you know, ordered a phone and then you just started paying per monthly, I think over a 12 year period, a 12 month, sorry, 12 year period, 12 month period maybe. And then by the end of it, you, you'd end up owning the phone, but more more likely than not, I just chop it in and go again so I could get the new one. Uh, I enjoyed it at the time because I didn't have the cash up front to buy the device, but it just meant that I could have the new device, just spread the cost over the month, over the year, sorry, into 12 month installments. But I guess the one thing it did include was the um, Apple Care on it. So you had a slight upsell. You couldn't just buy the phone in essence. So that was their way, I guess, of financing the scheme was you had to have it with Apple Care. I thought it was very good. I mean, like I say, it worked, worked for me. I guess I've been lucky in more recent years. I've just bought, bought the device. But saying that, I haven't upgraded in two years. I've still got the iPhone 12. And I'm not sure whether I would go for a hardware service like this because I tend to buy a device keep it for two years and then sell it on. I'd be a little interested, it depends on what, what the markup is, because it is a hassle getting rid of old gear. Yeah, I, that, I mean, that is an interesting thought, is unless you can pass a device down through the family or you've got somebody who's waiting to buy it, then you, you, you do have to move it on. In our case, we tend to, it gets passed down through the family. There's a spare waiting at the end in case somebody breaks their phone. So it kind of works quite well for us. Uh, and, you know, with having four active socially mobile people in the house you know we kind of need modern devices to do all that kind of stuff i was never tempted by the 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 previous iphone program but more or less for the reasons you said i wanted the freedom to sort of come and go on my own devices i didn't really want to be locked into anything i didn't want to pay more because i never felt i needed apple care on a device i've still never felt any compunction to buy apple care on any device um, we get it free with some of the ones we buy with work but otherwise it's not something it'd spring for because the devices butterfly keyboard accepted have all been very reliable for me this rumor just says that it's likely similar to what happened before there'll be a device apple care will be on top it'll be in-house by apple and not farmed out to another another management uh, program of some description but i wonder if it will just be iphones this time why wouldn't they expand it to ipads or possibly even Macs as a, as a way of expanding the sales and sort of pushing that sort of production line I guess it makes sense, especially if they're now going to get Macs onto an annual cycle. Maybe they get more 
routine refreshes on the iPad line, maybe that would work for them. I guess where they've been sporadic in the past, it's probably not not been a good fit. I'm a little interested because there were rumours this week about the iPad Pro getting an M2 chip and MagSafe. And I was like, do, do I want it? But I need to see it to see if I want it. Because I, I sprung for the M1 iPad as soon as it came out. I was like, yes, I know I want them all around. I'm definitely f- feeling the limits. But at the moment, unless they do something major with the OS, there's no need for me to upgrade. Really happy with it. I kind of think the same with my phone. It says that now. But come September, it might, might be a different story when, when we get 48 megapixels and punch hole cameras in the thing. But right now, I'm thinking my iPhone 12 is doing doing right there's nothing it's not doing um, and the problem i've got is i can't imagine my son when he turns 11 and wants an iphone that he's going to want a pro max because it's going to be massive in his hands so um nobody tanned that one down to yeah again it's still quite nice to have spares in case you drop it yourself and you don't have um, apple care on it so it's always a thought you might want something half decent kicking about in a cupboard somewhere that you can make use of it's not like it loses that much value sort of three years on or four years on but I'm- i agree i agree I'm with you on that. They've got to give me quite a compelling reason to upgrade uh, this year. The last phone I was happy with two years, my iPhone 11 Pro, became an iPhone 13 Pro. And I suspect the same will happen again. So maybe this is just part of they realize those continual upgrades of of revolution rather than evolutionary cycle. Locking people into that sort of two-year upgrade program, you're getting a a decent update at that point and they're going to continue to get money and grow their services revenue at the same time. It's kind of a win-win for the company. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, which kind of leads nicely into the second rumour about Apple potentially cutting production on the new re- newly released iPhone SE. Wait, uh, do you think that's a misstep because of the home button? I think it might be a little bit. It's an old-fashioned looking phone. I mean, it didn't bother people before with the iPhone 5 SE shape because people wanted a smaller phone. This isn't necessarily a smaller phone. This looks like some of the same old stock that's been kicking around forever on the outside. Yeah, I'm surprised they should have just taken the mini and and SE'd it in essence, I think, or, or done something. I wouldn't want to buy a phone with a home button on it now. I'm sorry, it's, I think the same with the the baby iPad. That, that come on, let's let's get rid of all the home buttons, move to one way of doing things. I do find it hard when you pick up a phone with a home button because to get to Control Center is different. You don't pull down the top right ear. I think you flick up from the bottom and like doing payments, you have to double tap the home button and not the side button or the top button on those devices. And I just find that a mess. So I think they just need to have one way of doing it. And uh, come on, let's move on. Yeah, that's us. We're used to that, though. If you're somebody who has been used to a home button, then maybe it's a decent upgrade. And I think if you are somebody who's had the iPhone 5 type device or the iPhone 5 SE type device for a while, maybe the screen upgrade is just not what you want. I just don't think it's a compelling enough change to sort of jump in, as you said, full force into, you know, the, the new FaceTime, uh, uh, FaceTime, FaceTime, brain's gone blank. Face ID. The new Face ID uh, way of doing things or, or not. So I, I'm not 100% surprised. It's not cheap enough to make it compelling. It's not sexy enough to get people to update. And and I think you're far better off with a, with a mini, as you said, or just the bog standard iPhone 13. Yeah, definitely. Or even just buy the bog standard iPhone 12 from last year. It's a cracking phone, good price point. I, I think the SE's, sorry, I just think it's pointless. They've got so many phones in the market now. There's, there's, not, a, there's not a position for it, in my view. Yep. Totally agree. I think that pretty much does it for the news, Chris. 
The only thing I was going to say is if they can churn out an iPad for what, 250 quid, how can they not get an iPhone to hit that number? Yeah, it's a fair point. I do wonder slightly what the story is for upgrading your iPad, though. If you're somebody who bought an iPad two years ago, uh, there's not enough in any of the current iPads, I would think, and the way I use an iPad, you use an iPad differently to me, that really makes me want to upgrade it. You've already said yourself, as somebody who spends a decent amount of money on iPads, buying what's new and sexy at the time, putting M1 chips and things, that the operating system isn't compelling enough to get you to buy an M- put an M2 in it. And if you're somebody who just uses an iPad for a bit of light consumption, a bit of email, watch your iPlayer on there, or whatever it is you do when you're when you're when you're relaxing from work, it'll still do all those things next year. And I think that or they're really pushing themselves into a corner with an iPad. The hardware gets better and better and better and better, but the software doesn't. And it's it's going to become a real problem for them. Looking back to the subscription service, maybe that's a way of pushing new iPads into the sort of supply chain and into people's hands as well. But the, there's a real sort of gap there for me. Yeah, I think you're right. My, so my children have got three-year-old iPads and they're playing games on it. They're doing Apple Arcade. We've got all the family plan, listening to music. They're not pushing those iPads at all. The only thing I wish, I should have bought ones with greater storage at the time. At 32 gigs, I thought that'd be fine, but obviously a couple of big-ish games and you soon burn through the storage. But other than that, they're perfectly happy, those devices. And to be fair, they're young children. Those dev- and they, the iPads don't leave the house, but actually they're in mint condition. They've had a case on them. They've reasonably well looked after as much as a kid looks after anything in this day and age. But they're quite robust devices. They've aged really well. And whilst they weren't cheap at the time, you know, we spent £300 each on an iPad for the children. Three years later, they're still going strong. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I mean, my iPad, the, the larger one from a couple of years back, not the current M1, has got a crack in it on one side of it, which is entirely my fault because I squeeze it into my, my work bag with the laptop behind it. So I think there's just too much pressure put on the screen of it, even though it's in a uh, it's in the keyboard case. What's the name of the keyboard case? I don't know. Magic. Smart magic keyboard. I don't know. Oh, I don't know either. You don't I know. I love either. that thing. Yeah, well, the one without the, the mouse pad on it, that one. Oh, smart keyboard. Smart keyboard. Uh, just be- between being sandwiched between the computer and the iPad has managed to crack the screen a little bit, which is annoying. It still works fine. It's not causing it any issues. But uh, it's the first time I've actually noticed any issues with any iPad hardware I've had. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had any. I mean, you, you don't take two iPads with you. Who would? Uh, hand up. That's me. That'll do us for the news, Chris. So we can rattle into the media section. Apple did very well at the Oscars last night. They won the Oscar for Best Picture and they won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Troy Kotzer, which we talked about a couple of weeks back in terms of the BAFTAs. So well done, Troy, uh, on a very well-deserved win from what I can see. I I will watch the film, as I said at the top of the show. But this makes Apple the first streaming company to ever win Best Picture Oscar. And more than that, Apple TV Plus only started two and a half years ago. It's an amazing achievement when you think of the Amazon Primes and you think of the Hulus and the HBO Maxes uh, and the Elephant in the Room Netflix haven't actually managed to win a Best Picture Oscar. So, uh, well done, Apple, frankly. Yeah, it's amazing, especially if you think they started really growing the platform in a pandemic for two years and they had to extend out free trials. And obviously, to begin with, they didn't have a lot of content. You could have watched the whole thing in a, in a week. But I think they really just slowly and steady iterated time and time again it's kind of like with the apple watch you get get your first release out there and just keep iterating and iterating on it they've done a really good job unlike other things that apple have released where they just 
puts me out there and then they don't touch it again. I, I think it's great. And I'm, I'm watching more and more on there. I've already said I've watched We Crashed. I watched Suspicion recently. That You know, there's two of their latest shows I'm up to date with. Looking forward to Severance, which I know, you, know you're a big fan of. So I, I think they're nailing it. It's great. Yeah, I agree. They did really well. I, my own personal show for the Oscars was Dune, which I thoroughly enjoyed that film. I think it's an amazing... It's not a reimagining. It's it's a different director's take on a, sort of a classic sci-fi story from Frank Herbert, which you know I I read I've read all the books multiple times. I enjoyed the previous version with Kyle MacLachlan in, in the role and and Sting in his uh, metal pants, but this this was fantastic and it's won the most Oscars of any of the films last night. But all for the technical stuff, best best visual effects, but you know best costumes and all that kind of stuff. Actually, it didn't win best costumes. Something else won best costumes, but June has done very well in cleaning up from those awards. Yeah, no, it's great. June, I've seen most of it. I must finish it, actually. But love the concept of it, but it is amazing. It's Dennis Villeneuve at his best. Hopefully it's going to be a second. Yeah, bit of an auteur. Blade Runner 2047, they did a cracking job with that as well. So I'm, I'm a big fan of Denis Villeneuve. Yep. Uh, Apple have announced a new show, or actually released a new show, called Pachinko, uh, which came out on Friday. They dropped three episodes of that, and it's the story of a, a Korean family moving to America and the sort of trials and tribulations that they faced. The novel has had a lot of acclaim. It's meant to be fantastic. I think it has that sort of very sheeny Apple look around it again, as all the shows do. So that's one I'm quite keen to try and start watching as well. So do I need to add this to my watch list? Okay. Yeah, I think it's it, it's definitely something that's worth considering. And I, when I finish my next episode of Severance and I've saved one, I'm enjoying it so much, I'm going to watch two in a row next time. I think Bachinko will be next on the list. Okay. One thing I thought we should mention in terms of media before we sort of finish off on the topic is we've talked a little bit about, I've mentioned Dopesick last week as a sort of a, a cautionary tale of the pharmaceutical industry. And you've obviously been watching We Crashed, which is a cautionary tale of the tech industry. And one thing that might be worth pursuing is a Disney Plus show called The Dropout, which the two worlds collide, really. The, the, the story of Theranos, the potential drug sort of discoveries that they claimed they were finding by Elizabeth Holmes, is is meant to be an absolutely fascinating story. She was painted as very much a sort of Steve Jobsian type character with her sort of charm and charisma to bring people on board and ended up defrauding, well, millions of people, I think, in the end. But I think it's definitely worth one taking in and paying a bit of attention to. All available on Disney Plus at this point. And just to show we're not entirely Apple-focused, I think it's quite uh, good to sort of broaden your horizons a little bit and maybe have a think about that one as well. Okay, yeah, sorry, I was just, just reading the link link in the show notes. Yeah, no, it looks really good. All right, I'm going to add this to it. I've got a lot of stuff. I've got like a note. She might even be a reminder of this now, just with various shows and films on it. And then I write next to it where 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 to go and watch it you know is it Disney Plus is it Netflix because otherwise you end up you end up with the name of something it's like where am I going to go watch that so I've just just added that into my reminders as well yeah I think maybe next week I'll we'll have to put it in follow-up there's a very good app which will tell you what what's available where and on what services and if it's not available as a streaming thing where you can buy it and oh, okay that's well worth that well worth the price of admission which is free for the app but I can't remember off the top of my head I think that'll do us for media. We've sort of raced through that this week. Interesting times ahead. Plenty of things to watch as we've talked about before and sort of broaden our horizons a little bit more. And we both have homework. Yeah, loads. I don't know when I'm going to fill it in. That's, that's, I think that's the problem I'm having. Well, at this point, we've got the thing that probably sucks away the little bit of time, free time that you get left as well. And that's to talk about gaming, which I think it's probably worth us having our own little dedicated uh, section about because we do end up talking about it most weeks. Yeah, I think I've been playing more games in... The last, well, since we've done this podcast, I'm going to say, than I've played in a long time. 
So there's threes which might go to my phone. There's been Mario Kart's come out. And the real starlet in our house is Gran Turismo 7. My son has played so many more hours than me. But still, I turn on every now and again. I have a little race. And it is good because it's bite-sized chunks. You can play for an hour, but equally play for 10 minutes. Um, but I'm loving it. And I love seeing your times appear when I go and do a, a, a race, you know, like the time trial scores. Because it's great to say, how am I doing against my mates? Even though we don't, and I'm not a big online gamer, but it's great just to see that. So I, I'm loving GT. And I hadn't realised that this whole scandal had happened. I don't know if you want to just line it up. Yeah, so I've been playing a bit of Gran Turismo as well. Probably a little bit too much Gran Turismo, actually, because I've done quite a lot of the menus and most of the licences and, and some of the missions and things as well. So I'm doing okay with that point. But last week, there was a server outage on the Sony network. So the game at that point was still quite new. It'd only been out just over a week, maybe 10 days at that point. It's a game that I paid £79.99 for in, in British pounds. And I think you paid a little bit more for because you went for the, the, the bit higher edition. I don't want to discuss it. Okay, but it, it's not an insignificant amount of money for a game. And on one level, I don't mind spending that amount of money on a game, which to my knowledge, doesn't have in-app purchases or isn't sticking in your face in-app purchases. And you can earn in-game currency by what they call grinding through it. So it's a car racing game. You win races, you get points, you come second, uh, you get less points, which and points turn into in-game currency. And with the in-game currency, you can modify your car, you can buy new cars. So if you race, you do okay. So just after the game had been out for this... The fear of follow-up. You can buy, you can go and buy credits with yeah, the actual cash. It was going to come to that, actually. So... Every time you win a race, you get a little card that pops up that says you've won 5,000 credits. And immediately below the little pop-up for your 5,000, 10,000, 40,000 credits, top up on the PlayStation Store, on the front and center of every single thing that you win. So that's a bit grindy. That's that. I never noticed that. You hadn't noticed that. You know the little card that pops up? Have a look, for, have a look on the second line of the card. Do you know what? It's probably like banner ads. I just like literally am oblivious to them. So that, that put people's noses out of joint, and it's still there in the game. But with this patch, when the servers went down, one of the things they did to was they dropped the amount you could earn in every single race that you took part in. So if you were winning 10,000 in a race before, you were now only winning 7,500 or 5,000. In order to try and really push you even more towards the PlayStation Network and spending real money on in-game currency to buy cars. Very, very naughty for a game you spent over £70 on in almost all cases. It's only been out 10 days. And to change the model, which had been working for 7 to 10 days, and was a bit grindy at that point without making it harder, was, I think, highly questionable and slightly immoral. I'm guessing the model wasn't working, though. That's why they changed it. Yeah, they obviously, like you, maybe everybody was looking past that first little screen to buy in-game currency and not actually spending the money. I hate games where you get nickel and dimed. We'll talk about the other game I've been playing a bit in a minute, Call of Duty Warzone, and it does a little bit of this as well, but in a slightly different way. So just to finish my thoughts on Gran Turismo, so Polyphony, Polyphony Digital, Polyphony Digital, I don't know how you say it, that's the studio. That, that I use Polyphony. Poly, polyphony? Polyphony? I, I wouldn't take speech advice from you. <laughs> However you pronounce it. Released this patch and then released an apology when they realised that, that gamers really weren't loving it. Having spent the money on the game to be sort of screwed out of even more money, more money in this case, you know, physical money in the, in the PlayStation Store, they threw out a million credit apology. Great. 
which I have to go to the garage and claim, and I've had mine, and I believe you've had yours. My son had his, and he knew nothing about it, and he was super chuffed. That's fine, but only to people who bought the game before the patch. So if you're playing it before the patch, you got it. If I went and bought it tomorrow, you wouldn't. So you are now seeing these reduced, grindy races with less money, you know, from the outset, which if you, you know, you're still paying the same amount of money from the game when you, you know, you still spent your 80 quid in the game. You're not getting the same amount of credits. And I just feel it's a bit of a kick in the teeth to people. Yeah, I agree with that. I and mean, considering the game was like a year late and it's been out for a month and they're, they're fiddling with the mechanics, you just thought they've had all that sorted by now. But maybe there wasn't hitting the spreadsheet target that, that somebody had forecasted. Yeah, and it's a damn shame. It's taking the shine off a game I was really, really enjoying. And it's still a good game. I've spent way too much time playing it, but it's just the grind is real. It really is. I love it. I think it's awesome. I'm really enjoying it. I love love all the different mechanics. They've really nailed the game. It is a shame that they're pushing the, the credits so far in your face, but hey-ho. And it was noted that when you get um, a roulette token and you play roulette, you don't, they show you some big prizes, but you never win the big prize. No. So um, it is a shame, but for a game that literally ticks every box and costs between... Well, I think the costs are between like 50-odd quid to 90 quid, depending on which version you bought, where you got it in a shop and, and what have you. So it's not cheap. I don't think they see the mechanic. It should be there maybe as an option if people are struggling with the game. But my view is you should be able to complete the game without having to spend additional money on it. But that's my preference. Yeah, I agree. And I, I will point blank refuse to actually spend real money on it, on something I've spent that much on. And my final thought is, it is an extraordinary technical achievement. The wet races particularly are incredible. You know, when, when you're in super, super heavy rain and you're driving around the Nürburgring, it, you, you feel it. You do worry about every corner. You can't see because of the cars in front of you checking up spray. Your windscreen wipers do work and the sounds and everything and the sort of the, the, the feeling with the triggers with the PS5 controller. It's it's real technical achievement and it's 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 a damn shame they've taken the shine off in this way for me. It's so good. Even driving in the cockpit view, which I normally wouldn't go for, normally on the bumper is my my preference. But actually going in the cockpit, they've made they've done such a good job with the mechanics of the steering wheel and the dash, the wipers, as you say, it actually feels like driving a, a real car. And it's sometimes on computer games that weren't well, weren't as modern, I guess, and didn't have the processing power. You turn the steering wheel and it, and it would put you off because it wasn't turning at the right field and that, but they, they've nailed it all. It's really well done. And the different cars you get in the field differently, the pool is different, you know, the cornering. I love all of it. So it won't put me off. I do get cheesed off that it's got to connect to the internet every time I load out because I'm only going to play in single player. I like that over the internet shows me your times and a few others, but the the needing to be online and the needing to nickel and dime me, in my view, are two missteps. Yeah, I agree, and it's it's interesting. I'm really I've really put Call of Duty Warzone in here as a as a sort of alternative opinion and way of doing this. So, Call of Duty Warzone is a massively uh, multiplayer online killing simulator effectively it's call of duty as people have always expected it it's virtual it's not always the friendliest environment in the world but it is quite good fun and i would say it got me through the first year of lockdown just i just enjoyed it there were people on there it's a battle royale game you all parachute in the, the circle closes on you and you need to you know survive to the end very rarely do i survive to the end but i have a bit of fun doing it it's call of duty everybody knows what that is but it's really well done it's a thought out mechanic the game is free so you can freely download Call of Duty Warzone, you can get on, you can play, and somebody will, 
you know, some other player in the world will definitely get rid of you very, very quickly because you're new at it and you haven't got the latest kits and you don't know, in the words of the game, what the meta is, what the right what the right gun with the correct loader is for the right circumstance. But by playing the game, you can unlock most of these weapons and you can have a perfectly reasonable time playing the game for free. If you want to do better and you want to get into the meta, you buy the battle pass, which lasts about three months. It costs nine quid. And you can earn enough credits playing the battle pass over the course of that, course of that three months to actually buy the next one in in-game currency. So you might have one physical purchase, and if you're that keen on it, you can keep just getting the battle pass with what you've earned from playing it and go on. Or you can buy the new, another podcast, I heard them call it horse armor, you know, skin for your character or skin for your gun or, or whatever it might be. But it's easily achievable to spend nine quid when the game came out and just keep playing it from that point onward. And that seems like a far less cynical release to a game than, than the full price Gran Turismo. That is interesting. I wonder how many people play it and do what you just said. How many people buy the campaign and do that? I, I don't know. I like a bit of COD, but I just want the single-player campaign myself. That, that's the bit I enjoy. It's fine, and it's horse. It's horses for courses, not horse armor for courses. And there are advantages to buying the standalone Call of Duty things. Vanguard is the last one that came out. Apparently, only about four people bought it, so it hasn't done very well. But previous to that, you would unlock a bunch of of guns and skins just by having that. So. Buying those additional games would lead into the Warzone campaign, but the Warzone campaign stayed freely downloadable throughout it. So I, I, I just think I quite like the mix of models, really. One that seems to be a bit more supported by its community than the other at this point, because they're not having to apologize every five minutes and give free in-game credits. Yeah, okay. I didn't realize so few people had bought Vanguard. I, I was quite interested because it reminded me of playing Call of Duty, well, I don't know, 15 years ago, when they used to all be set in World War Two. But um, it hadn't hit a price point that I was willing to consider. I was considering Far Cry 6 in a similar vein. That's half, that was half price on PS5, 30 quid. I thought that's probably a fair price for that sort of game for me. No, fair enough. I think uh, you and I need to explore a little bit more of the collaborative cooperative shooter, you know, or the sort of that kind of thing. Escape from Tarkov or uh, Hunt Showdown or The Cycle, one of those on, on the PlayStation. Maybe have a go of those together and uh, we can report ba- back on that another time too. If only I could shoot something. Well, this is it. At least you're—it's not actually a battle royale game. It's the idea is that you've got a mission. You go in, you recover a thing, and you got to get out in time. It's similar to that Rainbow Six extraction. Extraction, which was hard, really hard. So I think we need to find a slightly easier one that we can get our heads around. Did look awesome, though. It did look awesome. I think let's let let's that's sort of homework for some point as well. Let's try one of these other ones and see how we go. And I think that'll do it for gaming this week. But we'll we'll make this a regular segment, I think, and with. Over 35 minutes gone, we can get to the main part of the show. So maybe we'll uh, we'll keep it quiet this time. So I've yeah, only sorry, dude. That's all right. No, it's fine. We've we've had plenty to talk about, haven't we? Uh, so there was only one topic for the main part of the show this week, and it's one that we'll probably end up returning to over and over and over. But uh, in the last week, the EU has announced uh, a provisional law that sort of has two major implications for Apple. One is they want to enforce alternate app stores on platforms. Let's think about that for a second. And then the second is they want to enforce interoperability between messaging platforms. So this is a proposed law, but the EU seem very, very keen on bringing these things to pass. I noticed in passing that the Dutch lawmakers had fined Apple another $5 million too. So that fine just keeps going up and up and up as well. So we can see that they're keen on this. Brings the total to 50 million that they've been fined, 50 million euros, I believe. Yeah, that's not chump change. And and that law 
impacts within this because that was about allowing alternative payments. And if you're going to allow alternative app stores, you're almost certainly going to have to allow alternative payments. So I think the app store thing we can probably deal with quite quickly. I am in favor of Apple allowing sideloading. You can sideload on your Mac now, no problem, and it doesn't cause any security concerns for me. You can sideload on your iOS device in essence. If somebody sends you the code, you can get Xcode for free and you know, and build and run. It's not here's a bundled app and just pop it on, but you can technically do it. Um, so they do support that to a degree. Where am I at? Sideloading. Look, my kind of view, I guess, on it is I can sideload on my Mac. Why wouldn't they just? Do, they've got the tools. They've done this before. I get they're doing it the other way around, where they've taken the Mac and they're trying to tighten the screws on it and make it more secure. Whereas obviously with the iPhone, I think you're trying to go the other way, a very tight, closed operating system. You're trying to just open it up a little bit. I think there's merits to both ways, but they've clearly got the skills and the ability to do it. I'm kind of in favor of it, but I wonder whether they do it actually, whether it be a non-event because everybody's so used to the App Store. Yeah, possibly. I, th I think they should allow it because it would get them out of a lot of hot water with regulators. I, and I understand they're always going to tout the security concern things because they've got a completely closed system at the moment, but with the exception you've, you've, you've mentioned. And I have always wanted to try out things like Alt Store, which allows you to install you know, Nintendo emulators and things like that and virtual machine management on your iPad although it's quite complicated to do so this tethered but i think a toggle somewhere in the operating system saying if i if i toggle this toggle my my iphone's going to blow up fine I, allow me to install the alternative stores i think only a percentage of users will go and do that it gets the regulators off their back and you know you can get on and it will please people like epic and it will please the eu if they do it now if this comes along and they're regulated to actually allowing it in some more difficult technically to implement way it's just going to be a world of hurt. And I can see Apple going, fine, it's our ball. We'll take it back in some way, shape, matter, or form. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So part of the reason I use my iPad all day, every day, and I know you ridicule me for this, is actually I've never had to rebuild the thing. So I do like the sound. For me, I do quite like the sandboxing. I feel it's quite a safe, secure device. I know I'm, you know, I, I can't do much, I can't do much to break it, but equally I, I get your point in that it can be crippling to sometimes get your job done. So that's one of the pros of why I'm such an avid fan of the iPad. But I'm not against having an you know, alternative store because you'd still have to live by the sandbox rules. You know, they, they could still keep some degree of rules and governance there. It's just you're allowing another place to buy stuff from. And I, I don't think I disagree with that. You can buy books in multiple places. Why not apps? Yeah. I 100% agree. And I think the sandbox model they have for iOS and, and uh, iPadOS development doesn't allow you to r run freely across the operating system. You're stuck within your container within it. You can't, even if you install Alt Store, for example, go off and hit Outlook's uh, protected uh, space within that. You can't go off and hit any of the secured things within the operating system, subject to exploits and, of course, things that people will discover over time. But uh, it just seems like they're, you know, Cutting off the nose to spite their face, to use uh, you know an old expression. It feels like Apple are conflating the two of this will weaken our security, but it won't. I guess the only thing that could be bad is they would it have the same governance of oh look this this app looks like Wordle and Apple wouldn't be able to take it down. But equally, Apple have demonstrated they've made some boo boos in their time and let various apps through um, that they shouldn't have done. So they haven't. If they had policed the store better. I think you'd have more people going, no, Apple's is the only way because 
they've done a really good job, but they haven't. They haven't done a great job. So I guess they've got to work out a way. I don't know how this would work. You know, are you going to be putting on the develop developers to have an entitlement to use alternative stores? Are you then going to have store partners that would have the mechanisms to distribute, but would maybe they wouldn't be allowed to distribute adult apps, for example, because obviously Apple don't allow that. I don't, you know what I mean? I, I wonder how the nuances of doing it, how, how would that work? Well, th- this is the problem though, isn't it? If Apple had found a way to do this, there would be a way to do it. They would have made Epic ha- happy and they wouldn't have a regulator deciding this is the way you're going to do it. So you will allow alternative payment systems. You know, you will allow adult apps. You will allow this. You will allow that. And and whatever that comes down to is going to be a problem for them. And you're quite right. They haven't been the best custodians of the store because there are all sorts of scammy apps in there. There are the in-app purchases that kids are getting billed five or six pounds a day or 50 or 60 pounds a day in some cases to do this kind of stuff. And then there are the non-sequiturs like you can download the Amazon app and you can buy physical things using your, your Apple payment system or your or your credit card actually in the Amazon app. But the second you go to buy a Kindle book, you can't and Amazon kick you out and so you can't do that within the app. It's just full of contradictions for me. Yeah, I don't disagree. I do. I'm, I'm interested to know what they've done. And obviously Apple could do it. I just wonder if they keep kicking the down, can down the street. Um, so they never had to deal with it. Maybe they haven't got a plan. You know, it's a concern. But you'd have thought in the background they'd have been working up something. Kind of like with Mac OS X, they were working in the background to have it run on Intel and compiling it for other chips so that they were in a position they could do it. I wonder if they've got other stuff in line for the App Store. So if they get forced to do it, They've got the right architecture in place because the worst thing that could happen for everybody is you get a law decreed and put in place really quickly with a short time frame to implement and you end up with a half-assed implementation, which you're probably going to get anyway because I guess Apple aren't going to want to spend a long time making it really nice and smooth to use alternatives. No, no. And what the EU are saying here is that companies with a value of more than 75 billion euros with at least 45 million users, so that's Apple and Google and possibly the Epic Store for all I know, you know, in, in front of this, that will have to comply with this law and they're classified as gatekeepers. And gatekeepers have got to do a number of things, but one of the thing, a couple of things they've got to do is, for example, not be able to mandate a web browser. So Safari wouldn't be front and center within this. You could have Firefox or you could have Google potentially within this. Equally for Google, you couldn't have Chrome front and center. You may have to have something else, you know. Uh, allow app developers fair access to supplementary fun- supplementary functionalities of smartphones, for example, the NFC chip. That would be quite a big deal. Apple have notoriously locked that out from other providers using you know, the, the NFC chip within it. Give sellers access to the marketing or advertising, performance data on the platform. That would be a big deal for Apple. You know, They're not a great fan of sharing what's going on with marketing or, or their advertising platforms, although they did stop the iAds uh, thing in the end. And interestingly, inform the European Commission of their acquisitions and mergers, which I would have thought they had to do by law anyway. So that's a bit of a surprise to me that they don't. It is interesting. I, I don't know. I'm really, I don't know. I'm curious now how this is going to play out, but it's... At some point, they've got to deal with it because it's just not going anywhere, is it? It's no. not not going anywhere near away. No, and I left. Do you, do you think it would be? Sorry, do you think it would be his Google Play on on iOS? Well, potentially. Uh, I, it'd be quite hard to. Oh, I, I don't know the sort of technical technical implementations of that. It's not impossible, is it? There are frameworks now where you can cross platform build 
um, things. React Mobile, for example, you can build once in React Mobile and deploy to both. Microsoft used to have a similar thing, Xamarin, I think it was called, where you could build once and yep. deploy to both. It may not be called Xamarin anymore. Microsoft changed their naming conventions quite a lot. But there are cross-platform functionalities there. Would it be with Apple go, okay, we allow alternate app stores, but you can't use our tools. We've got no direct submission and you've got to do it all your own way. Or would it be, yep, you can have an alternative store, but you've still got to go through our rules for app compilation and all of that. I just, I don't know. It's it's quite interesting. Do you know how Microsoft did? Because obviously big thing with, I think it was Windows 11, they announced loads of changes to the store, didn't they? Where they were kind of, un- they're having a store, but undoing the shackles. So I think it made it quite tantalizing to put your app in the store but there was a lot less restrictions. Yeah, and there was a sudden flush of developers porting their apps to Windows 11 just to allow that. So Microsoft seemed to have it right, and they've made moves in the Xbox store as well. So they're not collecting the same commission, and they are allowing potentially allowing other app um, developers in there. But I think the console world is not a great place to go and look at this because the deals are much more beneficial on all sides. Clearly, software developers aren't really going out of business because Microsoft are. In fact, they're quite often being bought by Microsoft for quite large amounts of money, so it's not necessarily the best model. I did leave one thing out when I was listing what the gatekeepers will have to do, and I think it's the thing we should talk about briefly next, and that's to ensure the operability of their instant messaging services' basic functionalities. To me, that seems squarely focused at Apple, because iMessage, or just messages as it is these days, is only going, only, primarily only works with their Apple devices. But I could kind of see it applying to WhatsApp when you're talking about 45 million users or Telegram or Signal or one of these other large messaging platforms too. WhatsApp is huge. It is. Everybody just goes, oh, WhatsApp, yeah. It's just got into that vernacular, hasn't it? It was interesting talking to my father-in-law the other day. He was like, oh, we should set up a WhatsApp group. I was like, why? So we can send messages in a group. And I was like, why? We can just do that in messages. I'm not installing WhatsApp just so I can have a family message when we're all on iPhones. And it was because he was talking to one of his friends and their family and they had a mixed estate. And I go, oh, I can understand why you'd want a chat with a mixed estate. We haven't got that problem in our family and I'm not going to WhatsApp. I'm sorry. Yeah, I guess that depends on the makeup of your family. That If you have got an Android user in the mix, then you probably do need to think about something like So at work, for example, we have a work messenger, which we use Slack at work. I know others use Teams, other, other platforms are available, which presumably would also be affected by this now I think about it, which is an interesting thought. But outside of work, we maintain a signal group because there are people who are on Android you know, within the workplace. So to keep that sort of when you don't want work chat going all the time, we have a separate group for that. So what does that mean, though, when you think of this law? Does that mean us on Signal need to be able to interoperate with WhatsApp users, need to be able to operate with message users, iMessage users, or Telegram users? Technically, that's just a multi-messenger platform, but you need you then, as we as users, get unique identifiers across these platforms. I'm just going to sigh. I don't even know where to start. So is this like ICQ? Was it ICQ back in the day where you could... To AIM and MSN, and I, I, I'm showing my age. I, ICQ was its own thing. You got a, a unique ICQ oh. number. I think you mean like a Jabber or or something like that. One of those yeah, multi okay. message, yeah, yeah. Which which did ICQ and AIM and MSN as it was at the time, you know, and potentially Skype and all these other things that you and I used at university all those years ago. But th- to me, it's that single identifier because I use Signal and I use Slack and I use iMessage. Which service gets delivered to in something like this? Do I nominate a primary? Do you, you know how does it work? It's it, it seems like a poorly thought out law when you start thinking of the technical implementa- implementations of something like that. I'm trying to work out what the benefit is for me. So I have Teams at work. My work chat happens there. 
I've got messages for literally everything else, all my social life. Occasionally, somebody will text me from work, which is fine, but it's rare. And I quite like having it siloed. I don't think I want to conflate the two because if I text a person I work with, I generally want to talk to them about something social, not about work. Where if I send a message to them on Teams, it's related to work. We're at work, we've got our work hat on, we've got our work politeness on, maybe. Because you do drop, you know, when you hire somebody, you drop down a tier in, in in your typing, your politeness, your jokeability, maybe. Formality, thank you, that's the word I'm looking for. And then when I go on to messages, I drop down a step further, I think. So, and I want to keep that separate because it's a number of people I work with that I do just want to engage with on a social level about a computer game, about their family, something that happened at the weekend. And I do like it separate. I don't think I would want to conflate the two together. It's just, I don't know. And what's more, I choose not to really use Facebook services or meta, should I say. And I'm still not going to use their services, even if I can use pick whatever front end I want. I, I don't know. It feels like we're past this. It feels like you're trying to make email retrospectively for messages, you know, where you've got a universal protocol that anybody can tap into. And how the hell would this work with end-to-end encryption? It, yeah, it, it's difficult, isn't it? At the same time, I can understand the desire to remove the vendor lock-in that people have, that people feel they have to stay with meta services because everybody else is on there. So maybe there would be more flux between platforms if people could. But I'm with you. When you bring in things like end-to-end encryption, which not all of them have, that that ability to sort of cross-talk between them and for you to move platforms without it affecting your friend base and it does say basic functionalities. So is that just messaging and you lose your fancy emoji stickers or whatever that platform you know provides? I was just waiting for a massive airplane to go over. So I don't know if you want to mark that 103. Sorry, it was really loud. I'm That's right by RAF Fairford and the Yanks are quite busy at the moment. Yeah, they're, they're okay for now. Yeah, it's... So no, I agree, I agree with what you're saying. If it's basic functionality... Oh, is it just sending a message and then you end up with that whole blue bubbles thing and, you know, you like somebody's message and it and the other end doesn't receive it and doesn't know what to do with it or doesn't pass it? I, I just think this is a road to nowhere. I, I don't know. What, it'd be good to know what the aims are they're trying to get out of this. I get that you want freedom of choice, but you kind of got freedom of choice. If you don't want to use WhatsApp, don't use it. But you don't have freedom of choice in the sense that I know a couple of people's work chats are... are work chats but the way they organize work are in whatsapp if you don't want to use work uh, whatsapp you don't work so you're, you're forcing people to use the platform in that case whereas if they were a slack user for example and that that was where your identity was then why couldn't the message fl- so I, I mean i'm trying to pay slightly devil's advocate into it no no i got it but what happens if you're you you've got to use whatsapp but you don't want to use whatsapp and then you can use it just the basic functionality say messages to whatsapp somebody but they know you haven't got all the functionality and you're a second-class citizen anyway. Are we actually winning any battles here? Well, you can see what the EU are doing. They're trying to go, well, we can't have it all ways, can we? If we're going to introduce a law to say that the big tech companies, Apple and Google, and probably Meta being the third one in, in that, are, we want to stop this sort of lock-in in the walled gardens of the Play Store and the iOS Store and, and, and all the elements that come along with that, then we need to do the same thing for these subsidiary things, such as the messaging platforms such as Epic Games or whoever else comes along with a potential platform. I think conceptually when you think about it, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Why would I want to interoperate? But as soon as you start breaking it down, it's shot, isn't it? Well, you and I know that technically 
that's incredibly difficult for all these vendors to implement for lots and lots of reasons. We haven't been able to agree on password formats. We haven't been able to agree on interoperability in lots of ways. And there's a great XKCD cartoon. I don't know if you've seen it about standards. We've got 10 standards on something. We need to get together and you know finally sort this out. Response, now there's 11 standards. You know, th this is the way that this, this happens over time. As soon as you try and sort of force this kind of regulation or the sort of litigation into things, it splinters the market more than anything, unless you're Microsoft and you get away with your antitrust stuff. It just sounds like USB four. <laughs> yeah, you end up with all these all these cables. You know, it's 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 a great idea again conceptually. Why don't we have one USB cable with the same end? Yeah, brilliant, sold, and we can use it for video, and we can use it for data, and we can do everything with it. And it's just turned into a mess. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like we're not going to fix it tonight, but I think it's it's really interesting. That they're trying to do this, and I've read that the Congress in America is trying to do similar things with forcing, you know, Apple and Google to open up. So I think we just need to watch this space, really, don't we? Yeah, definitely. I'm sure this is going to be the last on this subject. Is it's going to keep on coming around? Yeah, yeah. And I think on that note, we've gone a little long. We'll call it a show. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Rod. It was great tonight. And uh, look, anybody out there wants to get in contact. You can drop us an email on wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or reach out on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. Love to hear from you. Any feedback, any future topics you'd like us to cover, do let us know. And uh, we'll see you all again next week. Thanks, Chris. Cheers, Rob.